I'm preaching this morning from a text that is familiar to most of us, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. I'm glad you're turning to that passage because I want to preach from it words that you'll need to look at and follow. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12, 1. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Now most people agree that the Apostle Paul is talking about his own experience here. And I, uh, I know how such a man, whether in the body or, or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man will I boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do not wish to boast, I shall not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth, but I remain, refrain from this so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well pleased, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's thorn in the flesh points up a common dilemma, and it's this, that oftentimes the experiences of life that we call painful and hurtful and, and discouraging and troubling often come at the time when everything is going just right. I mean, we've got everything under control, and then boom, something comes along to remind us that we are not really in control. Now you can put whatever name you want to, uh, to the thorn in the flesh. You can call that by whatever name fits your circumstance. But the thorn in the flesh is that which gnaws away at you day and night. It's what keeps you awake at night. 
It's what you're thinking about when you get up the next morning and just kind of gnaws away at you. You know what I'm talking about. There have been a lot of people who have tried to define Paul's thorn in the flesh. Some have said that it is a physical infirmity that he endured, specifically blindness or eye disease, that he had this terrible eye disease that was causing his blindness. He does say in Galatians, I know you Christians would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me if it were possible. And he says in that same epistle, I'm writing this with great bold print as though that were necessary for him to even see it. There are some who suggest that his thorn in the flesh is the opposition that he received from the Jews. This opposition that harassed him and hounded him across Asia. I'm not sure about that. That's not really important. It's not important or he would have told us what it was really. The important thing is to recognize that this thorn experience was such that it just became a tremendous effort for the apostle to do the will of God. I mean, it took all he had just to live correctly. It was a tremendous struggle from here on just to live for God. And it has been my observation that that occurs with remarkable frequency among the people of God. There's some of you this morning who are in circumstances of life that make living like God wants you to live a tremendous effort and you just can't coast along and, do, and live correctly. Without exception, is that true? It was even true of Jesus. I mean, in the last moments of his life, it took every ounce of energy and effort just to get his next breath. The Romans found out that the way someone dies when he's being crucified is that he suffocates. He can't get his breath hanging there. And so they drove a nail through their feet, not as an act of mercy so they could get a next the breath, but to prolong the agony. For they found these men would use that nail to kind of as a kind of a step that they would thrust themselves upward and gasp for the next breath. Now here was Jesus who was in a moment to return to the glory he had with the Father and yet not everything had yet been fulfilled to fulfill Christ's demand, God's demand for his life. And so in the last moments he used that nail just to push himself up to get his next breath so he could live long enough to fulfill God's will for his life. There are some of you this morning that are in circumstances of life that just demand every effort just to keep on going on. I heard a preacher tell, he was pastor up in Denver, Colorado, that they were having one summer backyard Bible clubs out uh, in the backyard of these people's homes. And, and they were having this backyard Bible club one day. A lot of kids, were, little children were there. And they didn't know it, but a thunderstorm was coming up. And a big black cloud just came over the house, swiftly over that house, and just exploded in the backyard where those little kids were playing. In a gigantic lightning strike or, or thunderbolt. Killed two of those children. One of them was a little boy who was the son of the pastor of the, to the deaf people. They had a large deaf ministry. And, and this little boy was the son of the pastor to the deaf. And his mother, the wife of this pastor, was deaf herself. 
And when she saw this little boy just exploding in a ball of fire, he said she let out of her muted mouth this blood-curdling scream or cry. He said she didn't say anything because she was mute, but he said she just uttered this horrible sound out of her mouth. He said, it has haunted me for years. He said, and I watched that woman who just had to struggle for the rest of her life just to keep going on. That's what I'm talking about this morning. How do you get triumph? How do you get victory when you've got this thorn in the flesh that just gnaws at you all the time and every effort just to breathe requires everything you've got just to hang in there. Well, we can learn something from the Apostle Paul because evidently he got victory in it. And there's some kinds of steps that, that just kind of mark the progress here. The first is his concentrated determination. I mean, what Paul is saying here is, I'm not going to take this line down. I'm not just going to lie down and let this steam roll over me. I'm not going to take this line down. And he called this thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan sent to buffet. And the word buffet in the Greek is the word to beat in the face with a fist. He said, I'm not going to stand there and get slapped around. I'm not going to let this thing just beat me about the face and do nothing. I'm going to take this issue to God. I'm going to, get some, I'm going to get some light on the matter. And he prayed for its elimination. Now, it's not wrong to pray that way. Sometimes I hear people, you know, kind of apologize for praying for the elimination of the thorn. They'll say, I know this is selfish, but I, and I'm probably not supposed to pray this way, but I, need, I want to pray that God will spare the life of my loved one. It's not wrong to pray that way. It's not wrong to say, God, remove this cancer from my loved one or take away this bird, a barrier that stands in the way of our marriage and relationships. It's not wrong to pray for the elimination of the thorn. The Apostle Paul did. He didn't get elimination. He got illumination. But at least he got something, see. And the point I want to make is this, that if you have that which just gnaws away at you, don't take it lying down. I mean, get something, uh, do something about it, do something with concentrated determination. I'm going to take this to God. You can be honest with Him. The result of that concentrated determination was some comforting discoveries. I see at least four in the text. The first discovery he made was this, that no matter what a person's situation, God will always give you enough light to live correctly. Let me, let me tell you, let me say something I want you to hear. Well, I want you to hear all of it, but especially this. Thorns are not excuses for doing wrong. Thorns are not excuses for bitterness. Now what I find sometimes is that when people go through these things that make breathing difficult, what they do is they use that experience as an excuse for turning away from God or for bitterness. It is no excuse 
for bitterness. For I have found that God is more concerned about our character than He is about our comfort. And if we take these experiences and use them as an excuse for bitterness and rejecting God and His plan for our life, we have failed, perhaps, at the key to the development of character. He discovered that no matter what a person's situation, he always, that is, God always gives us enough light to go on living correctly. Secondly, he discovered that God is always going to deal with us when we approach self-exaltation. Now the Apostle Paul said that in this experience he was carried into the third heaven. Somebody asked me after church what that meant, third heaven. Well, the Jews believed there were three heavens. One was where the birds fly, the atmosphere that we live in. The, uh, the second layer was where the stars are, and the third is where God is. What Paul is saying is, I went actually where God dwells there, and I heard things that I can't even express, and I saw things I can't even report. And the result of such experiences as that tend to make one exalt in oneself. Now the Apostle Paul didn't say that he exalted himself. He said, lest I become exalted in self, or as my mother used to say, lest I get too big for my britches. See, God sent this messenger in order to deal with me lest I become exalted in self. He always does that. Does the name Uzziah ring a bell? Yeah, he was the king contemporary with Isaiah. In the year King Uzziah died, you remember Isaiah 6? There are two remarkable statements made about Uzziah. One is that he was greatly helped until he became strong. And the second statement is that when he became strong, his heart was lifted up to his own destruction. Now what those verses suggest is that there is a weakness in strength that sometimes we can become so strong in our own eyes that we presume upon God and God has to bring us down a notch. And so Uzziah presumed upon God and he took, he assumed a he took a scepter and he went to a place where God had reserved for the high priest and only the high priest to go. He walked into the temple and went where God had forbidden any human being other than the high priest to go. He thought he was above God's law and God had to deal with him. Struck him with leprosy and he spent the rest of his life in a shack near the palace. God always deals with us when we approach self-exaltation. Third thing he discovered. He discovered that God wants us to gain victory in every circumstance and sometimes just to endure is the victory. Now watch this carefully. Who are our heroes? Our heroes are the people who go through experiences in life and come out on the other side just praising God and rejoicing and giving these wonderful testimonies of power and answered prayer. Those are our heroes. I'm looking forward in a couple of weeks to um, being at the pastor's conference of the convention and listening to this young lady, this mother, who is the, who is the wife of one of the leading pastors in the state of Oklahoma. About a year ago, last spring as a matter of fact, they came, they came home after church, after eating out on Sunday, uh, to find their son had killed himself, about 13 years old. 
Now, they're not sure if he committed suicide or was an accident. Mysterious death. And this woman, this mother, is going to give her testimony at the pastor's conference. I visited with them last, this last week and looking forward to hearing about God's power in this experience in their life. Those kinds of people are our heroes. Who, you know who my heroes are? My heroes are the people just like you who sit out here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday after Sunday, who are going through experiences in life that we don't even know about, who try to minister to you, and you are just hanging in there when you like to give up, and just breathing has become an effort for you. You're my heroes. For you see, sometimes the victory is just to endure. That was said of Jesus that he endured the cross. Third discovery. The discovery, the fourth discovery, the discovery that God's strength is perfected in our weakness. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Now what Paul discovered was this. He discovered that strength begins in brokenness. Now that term may be uh, you know, foreign to some of you. The, the word brokenness, biblical brokenness, is the process, the procedure that God uses to bring man to the end of himself. It is perpetual. And believe me, it is painful. It is the process that God uses to peel off the layers of man until that man is left to God alone. Now there are two implications of brokenness. There is an inner brokenness which is the process or procedure where a man is confronted with his sin. And he abhors or feels toward that sin as God feels toward it, and that's painful. Now, it's not painful just to shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, I'm a sinner, I've done terrible things. But when God brings man in the process of brokenness to an awareness that he has violated the character of a holy God and he has grieved God by these things in his life that shadow their relationship, and when he confronts that in brokenness is when he begins to feel the pain of that sin that's in his life. Jesus looked at Nathanael and said, there is a Jew in whom there is no guile. He didn't say there is a Jew in whom there is no sin. He said there is a Jew in whom there is no deceit or dishonesty about his sin. Now the Lord knows that we are not sinless, but he does want us to be honest about it. Now, how did he know Nathaniel had no dishonesty about his sin? Well, he said, I saw you under that tree. Evidently, the Lord saw Nathaniel struggling with the sin in his life, and Jesus said, I, I'm impressed there's a man who deals with the sin from the perspective of brokenness. Then there is circumstantial brokenness. You see, we all have this uh, certain amount of charisma. We all have a certain amount of ability and talent and power. 
And so often we tend to rely on these things for our success and our pleasure. Well, whatever it is, this charisma, this ability that is ours. And brokenness is the process that God has planned to divest us, divest us of those things on which we depend. You follow me? You do? You don't? Shake your head like this. Yeah, it's that process that God uses to take out of our lives and our dependence upon these things other than God, you see. Now, Watchman Nee has it this way, and I want, listen, I want to read it verbatim. He said, because, Before God can release His own power to meet one's crisis need, He must bring that person to the end of Himself. Until one is broken, he is full of himself, his plans, his ambitions, his value judgments. One is often so full of self that there is little room for God. Where, there, where this is true, God cannot enter in a deeper reality until there has been a divesting of selfish aims and goals and utter self-emptying. Usually this requires disastrous failures and a disillusionment with one's own self. Or as the poet put it, if thou couldst empty thyself of self, like to a shell dishabited, there he might find you on the ocean's shelf and say, this is not dead, I will fill him with myself instead. But thou art all replete with very thou, and hast such shrewd activity that when he comes, he says, it is a now unto itself, t'were better let it be. It is so small and full of self, there is no room for me. So God, in the process of brokenness, and that's what's happening to the Apostle Paul, is removing those things on which the Apostle Paul had become so dependent, even, watch this, even the experience itself. For it is amazing to me that the Apostle Paul needs this experience of brokenness at the very time he has ascended into heaven the third because God is showing him that even the experience we depend on so often and we must be just shut up to him. Let me see if I can illustrate it. If I were able this morning to swallow one of these little sponges, you've seen them when you put them in water, they just get real big. If I swallowed one of those sponges, would I have all that sponge in me? Yeah, you say yes, I, I would, I would. I would have all of the sponge in me, but would all of the sponge be in me? Yes. But would the sponge be in all of me? No. I'd have all of it in me, but it would not be in all of me. It wouldn't be up here in my hands and my arm and my feet and my toes, would it? Because the sponge would be limited to this little, this big uh, <laughs> cavity here, this 
called my stomach. And, and it would not get any further than the limitations removed. So that if somehow all of these limitations were removed, all of that sponge could get in all of me. Now what is happening in the experience of the Apostle Paul is that all of God is getting in all of Paul. Strength begins in brokenness and it continues in bafflement. Now watch this carefully. This is new from the first service, if you had to be there. When I got out of college, I decided I wouldn't go to seminary. I had my degree and, you know, what else, you know, I mean, what could I learn when I knew everything? About a year after college, I decided that I needed to get on down to seminary. And so about, I went to the seminary, got out of the seminary armed with my seminary degree, ready to take on the world with all the answers that would ever be needed. And I want you to know this morning, I am more conscious of what I don't know than what I know. And I have encountered answers, questions that have no answers. I probably have encountered more questions that have no answers than I have encountered questions that have answers. And I have dealt with situations, riddles that have no solutions. And not only is there this bafflement about life's experience, but the bafflement of unanswered prayer haunts me. Now, some of you this morning could stand and give testimony to answered prayer, but there's a whole lot of you, if you were honest, could stand and give testimony to unanswered prayer. And probably, if we were honest, there'd be more of us who could say, I have prayed to God and have gotten no response than, I, than, than the people who would stand and say, I prayed to God and gotten response. The bafflement that throws us upon God in faith. That's what he's talking about. He has a, deep, he has a situation here that has no solution, no uh, cure as he prayed for it. And so God just brought him to the end of himself until he thrust himself upon God in faith. Ah, what a discovery. Now the last step in all this is this. The Apostle Paul made a concentrated determination, had a concentrated determination, comforting discoveries, get this and we'll quit. He made a commendable decision. In fact, the decision he made was twofold. The first was that God's grace was enough. He, he, he made this decision that he didn't need a miracle of healing. God's grace was enough. He made this decision that the bottom line, ultimately, ultimately, he didn't need God to, to come and do something spectacular like the removal of the, of the thorn. What he decided was that God's grace was all he needed. Have you made that decision yet? A boy went away to war and didn't come back. His mother prayed for his return, his safety, and he died. She thought something wrong with her prayer life. And out of that experience that made breathing difficult, she found a song by B.M. McKinney and, and Hamilton that became her favorite song. It says this, When sin-stricken, sin burdened, and weary, 
From bondage I long to be free. There came to my heart this sweet message, My grace is sufficient for thee. Though tempted and oft discouraged, my soul to this refuge shall flee. And I'll rest in the blessed assurance His grace is sufficient for me. My bark may be tossed by the tempest that sweeps over life's troubled sea, but a rainbow illumines my darkness. My grace is sufficient for thee. When life here on earth is over, and Jesus my Savior I see, I know as I dwell in His presence, His grace is sufficient for me. In shady green pastures or on the rough sea, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now I know that's a true story because that woman was my mother. There's some of you this morning who are hurting, if you're honest. Jack Taylor said that he was in a pastor's meeting and pastors did what pastors do. They got up and bragged about how great things were going. I mean, we wouldn't admit that things are going bad. He said, these guys got up and everybody was bragging about how great things were and how God was blessing. He said, when, when one of them kind of caught his, catching his breath, a guy kind of at the back, kind of a tight, shy, timid guy got up and he said, I'm hurting. Is there any message for me? He said, my church evidently doesn't like me like your church is like you. I'm having a tough time in my church. He said, I'm having trouble in my marriage. He said, I am hurting. Is there any message for me? Now, if we were honest this morning, somebody might get up and say in this congregation, I am hurting. Is there any message for me? The message I'd have for you is this. God's grace is enough for you. The second decision he made was this that he wanted and found pleasure in the fact that God's power rests upon him. Now watch this. He said, I don't care what happens. Keep this thorn gnawing away at me if that's what it is, if that's what it takes. I just want the power of God to rest on me. You ready to make that kind of decision? Are you ready to say this morning, I, I don't know what it takes, I just want God's power upon my life. Listen, I'm through. Probably the most famous preacher in Oklahoma is Preacher Halleck, now deceased. Pastored for years over at Lawton. Uh, Henry Gold knows him well. He, he preached 11 years before he ever got saved. He's a tremendous, you know, he's gotten books. The last years of his life, he preached in Norman at a university church, and he pastored that university church, which had all these college students, and college students pretty Pretty, they're, they're pretty critical, uh, not, not in a negative sense. I mean, you've got to say something if they're going to come back on Sunday. I think that's a good idea, really. Well, Preacher Halleck preached to these college students at, at First Baptist Church in Norman, Oklahoma, until he was in his 80s. And a thousand college students came to hear him preach every Sunday. I heard Tom Elliff tell that he and his staff would just go over to Preacher Halleck's house and just, or his office and just listen to him, sit at his feet and listen to him. One day he said, boys, he said, I got real depressed one time in my ministry. Not many people know this. But he said, I got so depressed I was paranoid. He said, I, took, I dismantled all my rifles keeping myself from killing myself. He said, I remember one time we went out to eat. We went up on top on the skylight uh, 
restaurants up on top of this big tall building. He said, I sat with my back against the wall facing the window because I was afraid that somehow something would come over me and I'd jump up and jump out that window before I could stop myself. He said, I was totally paranoid. He said, I lived, he said, boys, I lived during that time by the Word of God. Preacher Hallett got cancer when he was 90 years old. Not the kind of cancer, you know, like tumors. And he, got, he, got, he got cancer of the bone. And he, had, he lived in excruciating pain. He couldn't even move without pain. In fact, one day he said while they were there, Preacher Alex said, Boys, he said, when you shook my hand today, it nearly killed me. I've been in such pain. Then he said this. Listen to this. He said, This cancer is a wonderful gift from God. God, you ought to be a wonderful gift from God. He said, God spoke to me one day and said, Halleck, life is a stewardship, and to the degree that I can trust somebody with something, I'll give him, to, I'll give him that thing to oversee. And he said, boys, God knew he couldn't trust me until I was 90 years old. God knew that I had grown up enough to be trusted with pain. I got to, when I got to be 90 years old, God could trust me with pain. Wow. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this. Ah, I'm rejoicing in this thorn because now I know God can trust me with pain. Let's pray together. Father, for these words we give thanks, and to these words, and for these words, and in these words, and by these words, we respond. Call us, Lord, to a commitment that is deeper than ours, as deep as yours, because I pray in Jesus' name. Now, there are three invitations this morning. The first invitation is an invitation to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, if you've never repented of sin and turned to Christ and faith trusted Him and Him only, your salvation is not complete. You're on the way. If you're religious and you join the church and you're, you're praying and all that, you're on the way. But you've not been saved until you repent of sin and trust Jesus alone. Come and do that. The second invitation is to you to join the church. Is it important? Yeah, it is. Jesus died for the church. Couldn't be anything more important than that. There might be some of you this morning who could say, Pastor, I've gotten bitter. And I've used the things that have happened in my life, occurred in my life as an excuse for not living the way God wants me to live. That's no excuse. Rededication important? Yeah, it is. It's important to the people who know you. So I'm going to ask you to come this morning on the first stand. Now, you don't need to come unless God speaks to your heart to come. If He does, you better do it. Always stand the same.